Welcome to the Sports Garden Network Podcast, your source for sports entertainment, incredible sports wagering intelligence. Welcome, sports fans. This is Wagering Week. I'm Tom Barton. That's right. We are Wagering Week. We have a ton of things to talk about. And yes, folks, we have sports to talk about. I love it. I love it. It is a sports-laden show. We're going to talk about the Major League Baseball division winners. The odds are out there, out there, and they're changing. We're going to talk about that. Also, we're going to get into who's opting out because this is a big issue, guys. Who's opting out not to play, not only in baseball, which you'll hear the names, but a couple of guys out in basketball, which might sway your opinion on that as well. As we are staring at July, the month that Major League Baseball will kick off, the month that the NBA will kick off, the month that the NHL will kick off. All you have to say is this month will have sports. That's a good feeling. Also, I want to give you the option to really kind of digest what went on with Cam Newton. So I'm going to spend a lot of time on that. A lot of time on that because I'm seeing people jump to different conclusions. And as a sports better, we need to not jump to conclusions. We have to be very, very careful here. But I will say, I called this. If you guys have listened to the show, we told you. Cam Newton was going to the Patriots. So we'll get into all that, and we're going to lead it off with that. You guys want to be a part of the show, it's 855, the number 4, G-A-R-T-E-N. Facebook and Twitter is how you get us and all the social media accounts. It's Sports Garden, G-A-R-T-E-N, iHeart, iTunes Radio, any of our fine syndicated affiliates as well. So that's it. I want to start off with the Cam Newton news. Cam Newton is now a New England Patriot. One-year deal. It's very incentive-laden. I'm not going to go over all of the details. Basically, if Cam Newton plays and Cam Newton plays well and Cam Newton wins, he will get paid. Not as much as he probably should get paid. But again, that's speculative. I'm going to have an internal debate here while you guys listen. Because the internal debate that we're going to have is about the viability of Cam Newton. I have absolutely heard people go crazy about who Cam Newton is as opposed to what he once was. And we have to talk about that. From a betting perspective, it's something to absolutely pay attention to. And I will tell you just real quick to lead it off, the Patriots went up from plus 2,300 in mid-April to plus 1,700 the minute Cam Newton signed. The minute he signed, the Patriots went up. How about as the division winners? The Patriots, and we'll we'll circle back to this. The Patriots are now the favorites at plus 100. The Bills go down to plus 160. New England also has the third best odds to win the AFC outright, plus 700. Okay? So the odds, they are a-moving. What about the odds on Cam Newton? You want to see if anybody's got faith in Cam Newton? How about this? Sportsbook USA out in Las Vegas moved Cam Newton from 300 to 1 to 40 to 1 with the signing. By the way, they said that one guy got in on the mobile in time, got a $100 bet on 300 to 1, pay 30 grand. But we'll we'll circle back to that. Let me start by giving you a little bit of history of myself and Cam Newton so you understand where I'm coming from and how I am completely unbiased in this opinion. I did radio in Charlotte for a number of years. When I did radio in Charlotte, there were often times where I proceeded or followed Cam Newton interviews. He was clearly a a big draw then. And I called him Scam Newton every time I mentioned his name on the air. It's not that I ever doubted the guy's talent. I didn't like a lot of the things that he did when he was young. 
And as his career began to progress, you started to see the things that he did off the field were trying to atone for some of the knucklehead moves, sure. I still didn't like his antics. I have a problem with a running quarterback generally. I don't like the Superman effect in the end zone. I, I don't like some of that stuff, but I generally didn't like the idea, and I said this at the time that he was drafted, I think Cam Newton is uh, like a comet, like a shooting star. Really bright for a short period of time, but I didn't think he was going to hold up. I didn't think he was going to hold up physically because of the style that he played. Now, this guy is, I mean, he's a monster at the quarterback. He, he, it, does he have the prototypical quarterback size? I mean, is there anybody else in the NFL that you'd rather for strictly the size? But he would too often decide to run and to take that pounding as opposed to finding the tight end out of the backfield, as opposed to uh, taking the little dunk, dink and dunk, or as opposed to taking a page out of Aaron Rodgers' book and saying, eh, I don't want my stats to look bad, so I'll throw it into the fourth row. And sometimes that's needed as a quarterback for self-preservation. So I thought his body would certainly break down. But I also believe that mentally Cam Newton was a guy that wanted bigger and better things besides the NFL. And you go, well, what's bigger than the NFL, Tom? Well, there are people that just want to build a brand. They want to be bigger and better. The dressing and the, that, ah, well, whatever, that's all fun. I don't care about that. But he just didn't seem like an NFL lifer. And that's not a bad thing. But I believe that Cam Newton's career would be very good for a stint, and then it would fall off. And I would criticize him for that early on in his career. He started to get a little bit better and a little bit more disciplined, but he still had the same kind of notion that when all else fails, and it's the same reason why, you know, a guy like Michael Vick, I wasn't in love. It's the same reason why I love Jake Locker in college and coming out of college. I said, yeah, I don't know about this guy. When all else fails and everything breaks down, instead of throwing the ball, they run the ball. I have my problems with Lamar Jackson for that reason where I think Lamar Jackson uh, is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL right now, in five years from now, I'm not sure I'm banking my future on him. RG3 is another guy. Running quarterbacks. Running quarterbacks. Josh Allen is starting to get there a little bit, right? I, I mean, these guys are running quarterbacks. So understand where my career is with Cam Newton. Now, I went out and, and I gave it for free in August when the Carolina Panthers went to the Super Bowl at 41 to 1 odds, I gave that out on Las Vegas radio for free. Cam Newton staring at the ball, rolling around the ground. Yeah, maybe there's a little bit of distaste there. But with all that being said, all of me not liking Cam Newton, we'll say, right? We'll put it like that. You want to come and tell me I don't like him? Fine. With all of that being said, I came out here in the offseason and I told you guys, Cam Newton has a chip on his shoulder. Cam Newton has never had to really bust his butt for something, right? Number one overall pick, most talented player uh, at Auburn at the quarterback position ever, okay? Handed everything, highly recruited, could do no wrong, took over the season. Now he's got a chip on his shoulder. Now the team that he knew as a family didn't want him anymore. Now the NFL didn't want him anymore. And I told you then, and I gave you the odds. We were giving you the odds every week. Where will Cam Newton go? I say he's going to the Patriots. Because Bill Belichick can see through it. Bill Belichick looks at that and he can see right through it. Bill Belichick says, I got a guy and maybe he doesn't fit me. Maybe he doesn't fit my team, but he's got something to prove. And I have somebody that has something to prove that has gone out there 
and made videos. Remember the Cam Newton black and white video of him working out and said they gave up on me, basically? Yeah. You don't think Bill Belichick watched that? And he watched that and he said, yeah, I could get this. I could take this risk. So while I may have not liked Cam Newton for a lot of his career, ladies and gentlemen, this is very different, very different time, very different situation. Cam Newton has a chip on his shoulder. I think this is a brilliant, brilliant move by Bill Belichick. But I want to calm down. I gave you the odds. I gave you the numbers. I will tell you, and we will break down a lot of what people have been saying, but I need everyone to calm down because there are some realities between Cam Newton and what we remember as Cam Newton. The Cam Newton defenders are out there. Cam Newton, well, you know, he shouldn't have been signed this late, and we don't know. You know, listen, maybe there's some validity to that, but let's remember, Cam Newton missed almost all of last season. He played two games, okay? And that was because of a foot injury. He hasn't played 16 full games since 2017 because of various shoulder injuries, okay? He was fantastic when he was on the field, but this is a multiple-time injured player that we don't know how he's going to come back. A lot of Cam Newton's allure, which I just mentioned, a lot of Cam Newton's game, a lot of what Cam Newton is was the physical specimen that he is. Reminds me a lot of Ben Roethlisberger in that aspect. Ben Roethlisberger is just a mountain of a man that you come in as a linebacker and you're coming off the corner, you're blitzing, and you're going to come in and you're going to have all the head of steam and you hit him with everything you got. Bam! And he doesn't move, <laughs> right? I mean, or he shakes you off. Cam had a lot of what Ben Roethlisberger had there. Ben's entire career has been filled with injuries. And I think Cam's is also. You do have the, the luxury of saying, Cam Newton's at the prime of his career age-wise. Quarterbacks at 30, 31 years old are usually having some of their best seasons. Cam's 31. Brilliant move by Belichick. But I'm also going to tell you this. And it's something I haven't really heard many people discuss. I'm not sure he's the starting quarterback. Oh, I know. I know. Cam Newton for everybody's going to line up and Cam's here and Cam's a quarterback. Cam is this. Cam's that. Bah, bah, bah. Jared Stidham is on this team for a reason. What? Forget about what you think about Jared Stidham. Your opinion means nothing. Forget about what I think about Jared Stidham. My opinion means nothing. Forget about what any talking head out there says, what any other analyst says, what anybody else says to you. There's one man's opinion that matters, and it's Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick drafted this man. Bill Belichick told the world that he was going to be the next guy. Bill Belichick invested into him. Don't think he had this Cam idea because Cam could have signed with anybody else during this whole time. He invested in Jared Stidham to tell everyone, I'm going to win without Brady, and this is the man I'm going to do it with. So I don't think it's a layup that Cam's the starter. I, I just don't. That's something to watch. But if he is, all of a sudden, the New England Patriots, the Patriots that are dead and buried, the Patriots that were finally passed by the Buffalo Bills, according to the odds just a couple of months ago, a couple of months ago, the Bills, they were uh, minus 105, and the Patriots were plus 105 on the betting board to win the East. The Patriots, who never, ever, ever lose. 
They don't lose that division. They don't lose. Bill Belichick doesn't have Brady anymore. Bill Belichick doesn't have Gronk anymore. The Patriots don't have Antonio, but they just, what are they going to do? All of a sudden, you start to look at the Patriots with a top five defense, a tremendous special teams, and you start to look at the Patriots' offense, and when I start to read this to you, and I will read this to you, you start to say, wow, they got some things. Cam Newton, Jared Stidham, we'll, we'll say for this argument, Cam Newton, since we're talking about Cam. Cam Newton, starting quarterback, massive, massive upside. Massive upside. Upside to sway an MVP vote in Las Vegas from 300 to 1 to 30 to 1. Okay, that's the upside Cam Newton has. Running backs, Sony Michelle. Michelle was a beast two years ago. Michelle was a beast last year in the playoffs. James White. Everybody loves James White. James White should have won the Super Bowl MVP a couple of years ago. Rex Burkhead. Okay, Burkhead is a guy on Cincinnati that, that Belichick went out and got. I like the running back combination. I think Michelle is a number one with White. Oh, that's fantastic. Wide receivers, Julian Edelman. Is he a Hall of Famer? I, I don't know if he's quite there, but he's there's conversations about it. Okay, so you got a number one wide receiver, albeit slow uh, or, or or small, I should say. He's not slow. He fits the system. Muhammad Sanu. Muhammad Sanu is a consummate number two. And Nikhil Harry. Oh, by the way, a number one draft pick. Maybe it's not the ridiculous talent, but guys, that's a pretty decent wide receiver core. Uh, tight ends. I'm not going to make believe that they have anything at tight end. Dalton Keene, Devin Asante, uh, Matt Lacrosse. They they are lacking there. Pretty. Pretty greatly. And I expect them to go out there and probably grab somebody off of the waiver wire. Uh, the Bears have uh, like 11 tight ends. They're probably going to have to drop one. So that's something to look at. And then the offensive line. Isaiah Wynn, yeah, very solid. Joe Thune, David Andrews, excellent. Shaq Mason, uh, all kinds of talent. And Marcus Cannon. So I think the offensive line is good. Not great. It's good. It's solid. The running backs are are very good. Okay, that rotation is very good. They're going to be in the top five, top seven in, in rushing attempts and yards this year. Sure. The wide receiver core, yeah, they got some talent there. There's some talent and with the right system that could work. They really needed somebody to bring it all together. I never thought Jared Stidham was the guy to bring it all together. Do I think Cam Newton is the guy? I'm up in the air. Do I think he can be the guy? Huh. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. Absolutely, I do. As far as the fantasy idea is, and I do want to talk quickly about the fantasy idea just because this is something that sways people. Don't forget what Cam Newton was. He was a top five fantasy quarterback every year that he played 16 games in his career. And he was the number 12 quarterback in 2018 when he only played 14 games. Figure you give him two more games, maybe not top five, but he would have been right there. Cam Newton is a very draftable starting quarterback if he gets the job. And we're going to go back to, does he get the job? You look at the Cam Newton, and I, and I want to get into who else was signed because that's the biggest thing, but I'll get into that after the break. But you look at the Cam Newton situation where we stand and how much does it impact my idea of the Patriots? I was up in the air. Look, I gave you the Bills last year. I gave you the Bills last year when nobody had the Bills. I gave you the Bills to win the division. I gave you the Bills to make the playoffs. I gave you the Bills to to do well in the playoffs. I was all over the Bills last year. I still am. I still like the Bills. 
But I'm in a position where I wasn't sure this year. I got to see, you know, to be the man, you got to beat the man. The Buffalo Bills can't beat the man. And the man is Bill Belichick. And they haven't done it yet. So to be the man, to, to quote the great Ric Flair, to be the man, you've got to beat the man. Well, I haven't seen it happen. So I wasn't putting my money towards it. New England, all of a sudden, third best odds to win the AFC outright. I don't like that. I, you know, you can't like that. And my opinion doesn't sway that much with Cam Newton to think that that's a good bet. Yeah, you got the one-two. You got Casey, Baltimore. They are the one-two. Where is New England? I'm not sure they're better than Buffalo. I just said that. I don't think that they're better than, marketably better than Pittsburgh. Okay? I'm not sure they are better than a healthy Tennessee team. I'm not sure that they're much, I mean, really better than a very, very talent-laden Colts team. I'm not sure that they're much better than these kind of teams. I, I don't know, you know, where they stand. I'm okay with plus 700. Yeah, I, I'm okay with setting the odds there, but I'm not going anywhere near it. And then you go to the Super Bowl. I, look, I've made a lot of money on Bill Belichick winning Super Bowls. 2300 to 1700 I don't think Cam Newton is worth that much of a downturn. I, look, I think a 20 to 1 would have been a fair assessment of the Patriots right now. You want to bring it down to 17? You bringing it down to 17 means you believe that Cam Newton can compete with Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes most likely in their place. Do you believe that Cam Newton at this stage of his career, at this stage of his banged up hurt body can compete with those two and this is not an insult to cam i think cam's going to be excellent if he plays in new england he plays 14 games in new england i think he's going to be excellent i think they probably win the division if he plays 14 games but i think that there is a large leap from saying new england can compete new england can win the east new england could be a playoff team to all of a sudden discussing is cam newton going to be good enough to go into kansas city and beat patrick Mahomes? Is Cam Newton good enough to go on and, and maybe in the Super Bowl beat a Drew Brees? Is Cam Newton good enough to go beat a San Francisco 49ers defense? Is Cam Newton good enough to go beat Lamar Jackson and everything that Baltimore has? And I don't think so. I think New England is an improved team with Cam Newton at the helm. They are improved, but do not overreact, guys. Try not to overreact. It'll be fun. It's a great discussion point, but don't overreact. All right, let's take a quick break. We got lots more Cam Newton talk and Major League Baseball divisions right after this on Wagering Week. And now back to Wagering Week with Tom Barton. I'll bet you 20 bucks I can get the gamble before the end of the day. No way. I'll give you three to one odds. You're on. What are the odds? What are the odds? Well, we've been talking about it, and I mentioned it. I am not fully convinced that Cam Newton is the week one start. A lot of time to go, but Bovada put out the odds on who will be the starting quarterback for week one. And will Cam Newton be the Patriots starting quarterback week one of the 2020 NFL season? Yes, minus 145. No, plus 105. Now, I think these are terrible odds, by the way. <laughs> you know, plus... If you're giving me a yes, minus 145, you got to give me a no at plus 120, don't you? I mean, this is where the books shave it off, and I'm not here ripping Bovada, but this is where the books shave it off. Minus 145, you got to be giving me back plus 120. I wouldn't make a bet on this. You know, not at 105, not at even money. I think there's 
a 60% chance he's the starting quarterback. But that's all I'm sitting at right now. Stidham is Belichick's guy. He knows the offense. He knows the situation. I'm not sure how Cam Newton is healthy-wise. I haven't seen him play. I haven't seen him suit up. Bill Belichick hasn't seen him suit up. Nobody's seen it. And you don't have OTAs, and you don't have this training to kind of go out there and tell you, here you go. And I've been very consistent across the the board. I think there's, and I've told you this, I think that there is a 40% chance Mr. Trominsky stays the starter. Why? Because of the, the development of no OTAs. He knows the off. All of that. So minus 145 is the yes. I think everyone's going to jump on that. That'll rise. I would take a look at the no, but I need more information. So we'll lay off of that. That is what are the odds. Real quick, I want to keep it with the Cam Newton stuff. Uh, just... Because this is the argument that I've continued and continued and to continue to hear. The minute Cam got signed, this is all you heard. Oh, my God. What did these moron teams do? Teams like the Bears and the Raiders. Teams like the Steelers and the Cowboys and the Jets. They all signed starting quarterbacks that could potentially could be starters in this league to be backups. And they signed them all, basically all, to more money, and in some cases made trades and whatnot, for backup quarterbacks that you're not sure are really backup quarterbacks. They might be fringe starters. When they could have had Cam. That's all he hears, that they could have had Cam. Well, they could have had a guy that's off list frac surgery and a fracture in his foot. They could have had a guy that hasn't had a complete season in two years. Could have had a guy that had a shoulder injury in the second half of 2018. They could have had a guy that at times have been a distraction in the clubhouse. They could have had a guy that they haven't seen really play in a year and a half because there's no uh, preliminary camps. You could have had that. They decided to go the other way. So I want to talk about head-to-head Cam Newton against some of these decisions. And you're going to be very surprised where I am with some of them. Let's start it off with Marcus Mariota. The highest paid backup in the league right now is Marcus Mariota, who went to the Raiders. Cam Newton or Marcus Mariota? Look, the thing with Cam Newton, and we're doing it now with Jared Stidham, is the minute he walks into the building, guys, you're looking over your shoulder. And Derek Carr is a guy that, from the minute Gruden was signed, they said, ah, Derek Carr can't survive. Right? Derek Carr's not going to work with Gruden. Nope, Derek Carr's not going to be able to do it. Nope. He's been looking over his shoulder ever since. Marcus Mariota comes into the league, uh, comes into the team, and people are going, oh, I wonder if Mariota's going to be the starter. Now, I'm not a big Derek Carr supporter here, but he didn't have weapons. The Raiders went out and they drafted him weapons. Derek Carr still, even despite all the problems, still had a top 10 offense last year as far as passing numbers and efficiency. Carr was fine. He wasn't great. He was fine. I don't love giving Mariota this much money, but I understand it. I understand where they went. He's a guy that won't cause a rift. Marcus Mariota doesn't even have Twitter. Okay, he doesn't have Twitter because he doesn't he doesn't have time for the outside noise. I, I think the Marcus Mariota thing. If I had to choose for the Raiders, not for any team. We're not doing this in a vacuum, guys. If I had to choose for the Raiders, Marcus Mariota coming in at his number. Or Cam Newton. You know, I think they paid Mariota too much. But I, I don't I don't think it's an egregious mistake 
to sign Mariota there. How about the Steelers? Jameis Winston, Cam Newton. Jameis Winston makes a lot of mistakes. A lot of mistakes. Cam, I mean, Jameis Winston threw 30 interceptions last year, okay? He, massive amounts of mistakes. But it's a different player. Jameis Winston is a pocket passer with a large frame body that, yeah, he makes mistakes, but he also takes those shots. Reminds you a lot like Ben. While I talked about the physical attributes of Cam Newton reminding me of Ben, Jameis Winston's gameplay reminds me a lot of a lesser Ben Roethlisberger. He's going to trust his arm strength. He's going to throw it downfield. He's going to take a beating because he's a big dude. Uh, and, and with Winston, you get a young number one draft pick just like Cam that didn't have injuries. If you are a offensive coordinator or a quarterback's coach and you're watching Cam Newton and you're watching James Winston and you're looking at James Winston and you go, oh, there's a mechanical floor. I could fix that. I, I could fix that. I could fix that. We could get that talent. Or you're looking at Cam Newton and going, eh, I don't know he's going to come back from the shoulder injury. I don't know how he's going to come back from a foot injury. I think the Winston deal was the right way to go. I think that was the right way to go. So Mariota, I'm not going to jump on. The Winston deal, I'm not going to jump on. Andy Dalton in Texas. This one is a no-brainer. I think you don't want to bring Cam Newton into a situation with a contract negotiation with Dak Prescott. You bring Andy Dalton in. Andy Dalton is a guy that is a safe backup. He's going to be a pro. He's someone, well, if Dak decides to hold out, we could roll with Andy Dalton. That's okay. We can roll with him, but we kind of don't want to roll with him. All right, no problem. Once Dak signs, no one's going to be calling for Andy Dalton. It's not the case with Cam. Once Dak signs, he's not living up to his money. They would start calling for Cam. So I think Dalton is, is the no-brainer. So I'm not getting on any of these teams, but there's two teams left. I'll go with the team that I think made an absolute egregious error, a massively egregious error, and that is the New York Jets signing Joe Flacco. They're saying right now, even with Corona, even with everything, that Joe Flacco still might not be ready for the season, and he's your backup. Now, I get the idea that you want a veteran there to teach Sam Darnold. You want a veteran there to kind of monitor him, to lead him, to you know teach him the intricacies, things that you don't know. But if Sam Darnold goes down and you put in Joe Flacco, does anybody, anybody believe? Does anyone believe that you have a chance at winning a game? Joe Flacco's not winning you games. Sorry, guys. He's not winning you games. Joe Flacco is a guy that I don't feel comfortable putting him in any situation. So while he's a comfort to Sam Darnold, sure, you can't expect him to fill in. I think they would have been better taking a shot at Cam. Again, yeah, Darnold might have been looking over his shoulder, but I don't think too hard. And then you got Nick Foles, and this is the one that really everyone kind of jumped all over. Because you could have had Cam Newton on a one-year incentive-laden deal and pushing Mitch Strabinsky, or you could make a trade for Nick Foles, who also costs more money. I'm okay with the Nick Foles deal, and here's why. At this point in their career... We can both say they're both injury prone. Nick Foles is injury prone. Cam Newton's injury prone. We get it. The last time I saw Cam Newton, though, was 2017 that I felt comfortable that he was okay. And even back then in 2017, his play seemingly had holes in it. He started to decline. He started to be a guy that you had to design a system around as opposed to slotting him in. 
Cam Newton on the Chicago Bears, we would have had to look at a situation where Cam Newton would have had to move the playbook. The playbook would have been designed for him. Everything would have had to be changed for him. And that's a backup quarterback, guys. Nick Foles, while maybe injury prone, has proven himself. Last time I saw Nick Foles looking good. What, what did Nick Foles do, by the way? Oh, yeah. Won a Super Bowl. Right? Yeah, Nick Foles did that. And then Nick Foles came back from an injury and he played. He played fine. Okay? He wasn't great, but he played fine. But I saw him again after the injury. I still haven't seen Cam after an injury. I still haven't seen him. Okay? Nick Foles is also a guy that if Trubinsky wins the job outright, Nick Foles knows how to be a backup. He knows how to collect that paycheck and be a backup. And he's not going to cause any stir. Nick Foles, oh, by the way, he knows the entire offensive staff. He knows the coordinator, the head coach. He, they've worked with him. It's the same system. He's a seamless transition. So I don't think everybody should be jumping on the idea. Look, it's a brilliant move by Belichick to get him. But let's not jump on the idea that Belichick is so much smarter than everyone else because he didn't grab Nick Foles or he didn't grab any Dalton. Any, no, 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 no. Let's not go crazy there because each one of these teams had a different reason for why they grabbed each player. So in totality here, I'm not putting a dollar on Cam Newton winning the MVP. I'm not putting a dollar on the New England Patriots winning the Super Bowl. I'm not putting a dollar on the New England Patriots winning the AFC uh, championship. But it has me torn and has me thinking maybe, maybe it might be worth a couple of bucks on the AFC East because they just never lose it. That's what Cam Newton does for me. It's an exciting story. I think for fantasy circles, it's pretty big. I think for daily fantasy, he could be very big. I think he does make the Patriots better if he's the starting starting quarterback. But I'm, A, not convinced he's going to be the starter. And, B, I don't think it moves things as much as people believe it's going to move the needle. All right, guys, let's move on a little bit. I want to talk about a really impactful thing that we're going to really have to deal with over the next little bit more than a month. Players opting out to play. Because this will impact, greatly impact, your betting number. In Major League Baseball, players are already beginning to opt out. The NBA told players, eh, don't worry about it, you guys could opt out, it's no punishment. But And there's been some backlash early on about players opting out. But, guys, as we can see, the world is again shutting down in some spots. Maybe it's not affecting you. Texas is reshutting down. California is reshutting down in certain areas. Florida, you can't go to a bar in Key West anymore. You can't go to a bar in Florida right now. They're reshutting down. Whether you agree with it or not, I'm not getting into it, okay? Whether you agree with, with the shutdowns or not, the reality is it's happening. So there are high-profile players that have, and I've mentioned this last week, that have high-profile situations. Bryce Harper, Mike Trout, and Garrett Cole, all their wives are expecting babies very soon. Now, they all said we're going to play, and that's fine. But let's not demonize guys that are deciding to opt out, but we should learn from it. We should certainly learn and make sure that we take it into account. The Washington Nationals, Joe Ross and Ryan Zimmerman have both decided we're not going to play this year. Various reasons. I'm not questioning their reasons. It doesn't matter to me. I don't think Joe Ross is going to be an integral part of the team anyway. The guy's massively talented. But I don't think he was going to be an integral part of the team. Neither was Ryan Zimmerman, who was going to come off the bench. But a team that wins the World Series and has the camaraderie to win the World Series and the wherewithal 
and everything clicks. And when you're talking about baseball, you talk about clubhouse and mentality and what they are. When you have that, guys, and you lose Ryan Zimmerman, who was uh, basically the captain of that team, well, that might hurt. So on the field, I don't think losing Ross or Zimmerman really impacts the Nationals. Off the field, it certainly might. Those were the first two. Mike Leak has also decided to opt out. He's not going to play the year. Again, Mike Leak is uh, getting paid a lot of money, but he's mostly a four or five starter. I don't think that's overly impactful. Ian Desmond decided he's going to sit out. Now, with the new DH, a lot of people were looking at Ian Desmond as being that DH on the Colorado Rockies. Rockies are in a weird way. Charlie Brackman uh, came out. He's got corona. Ian Desmond now has opted out. And Desmond, by the way, didn't opt out because of of corona. I don't want to get into it, but he opted out because baseball's racist and there's all kinds of systematic problems. And Okay, whatever his reasons are, look, he's a bat. Right, He's a bat that should have been a DH, and he's opting out. That's something impactful. It's something to take into consideration. And I think you're going to start to see a lot more of this, a lot more guys opting out. Anthony Rizzo said, yeah, he's going to play. Remember, cancer survivor Anthony Rizzo, as is John Lester, uh, both have said, yeah, we're going to play the season. But these are guys that you can tell. Yeah, they, they kind of were struggling with the decision to even play because of their underlying conditions, and you cannot blame them. A guy like Kenley Jansen was in the hospital last offseason because of blood clot problems. I don't know how. I'm not a medical guy. I don't know how that affects corona. Would you get down on Kenley Jansen for opting out? I certainly wouldn't, but it's something from a betting perspective that we have to watch, and I told you guys early on, I am someone, if you've listened to the show, I like to wait. I either jump on something very, very early, very, very early, strictly to get the percentage and the numbers. Look, if I could have got Cam Newton at 300 to 1 to win the MVP, I'd take a shot, okay? Or I like to wait until the very end till I know every single thing. This is just the start of the opting out. I expect to see a lot more players in Major League Baseball opting out, even after spring training starts. Watch the injuries. These guys are not exactly ready. They're not exactly, you know, sitting around and and chomping at the bit to to get going in full flight, top physical condition. Yeah, they may want to play, but you don't know. (laughs) You know, you don't know. By the way, just to give you an idea about what the Rockies are doing with the DH and whatnot, when I mentioned the DH, Rockies added Matt Kemp to a minor league deal this week. Why? Because they're figuring, oh, man, Ian Desmond was going to be out DH. He's out now. Now, we have a lot of young talent, but don't you want a guy like Matt Kemp on the team? Yeah. So good deal there. Now let's going to move real quick before we get back into baseball over to the NBA. Because the NBA has had players starting to opt out. And the NBA is going to the Olympic bubble that I call it, the Orlando bubble and all of that. Patrick Beverly caught some heat for opting out, and people, you know, oh, they opted out. Ha oh, ha, they're, they're not needed on the team. Yeah, they are. Okay, yeah, they are. But a lot of uh, a lot of guys here are having a problem, okay? David Griffin, president of the New Orleans Pelicans, uh, said three players tested positive for corona. Okay, that's uh, a little bit of a problem. Now we're starting to see some opt-outs. Spencer Dinwiddie is somebody that is a massive part of the Nets. He just tested positive for COVID-19. Now, he is symptomatic, okay? He is now in doubt in Orlando. That is a problem. Now, remember this. 
You could say, well, I don't know anybody that's sick or asymptomatic. Rudy Gobert has said he is still not recovered. This is three months later. Three months after Rudy Gobert was tested positive for corona, he says he's not 100%. Okay? Now Spencer Dinwiddie says he's got coronavirus. That's a problem. DeAndre Jordan, his teammate on the Brooklyn Nets, said he will not play in Orlando because he has tested positive for corona. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't want to be, you know, the guy that only looks at this from a wagering standpoint. But I told you not to bet on the Brooklyn Nets in any capacity. A lot of people did with Kevin Durant. This is devastating for the Nets. They lose Dinwiddie and Jordan? This is devastating for them. So be very, very careful. By the way, also Wilson Chandler. So I don't even know if the Nets could field the team right now. And I'm not being facetious. I'm I'm really not. I mean, you got Joe Harris, you got Karis Liver, but... Can the Nets even field a team right now? Remember the Joker in Denver? He's COVID positive. He had no symptoms, thank goodness. But these guys that are coming down with it, don't make light of it. This is bad news. And I don't even know if these guys can can really, truly field a team. Can the Nets field a team? And all of a sudden, you start to hear all these opt-outs, all these coronaviruses, all these problems. And you wonder, is there a doubt the NBA season? I sure hope not. I just don't like to hear this day after day. All right, guys. We're talking about the future. Let's go bet to the future. We're sending you back to the future. Okay, all right. Bet Bet to the future. future. All right, we're going to keep it here. Bet to the future with a little NBA. And this is a prop bet that I found, and I think we have an angle here, ladies and gentlemen. So I want to talk to you about it. Bet to the future. How many points will Damian Lillard average Throughout the 2020 NBA playoffs, how many points will he average? Well, the over-under is set at 27.5 points per game for Damian Lillard. Now, we all love Damian, right? We know how good he can be. He's absolutely fantastic at times. Wow, Damian Lillard this, Damian Lillard that. But I found an angle, and I'm going to give you a play here. Damian Lillard, yes, he averaged 28.9 points per game this season. In the shortened season, basically, he went over by a point and a half just under a point and a half, would have been the average he would have gone over if the season continued to what they're asking him to do during the playoffs. Last year, he averaged just 25.8 points per game. That is in his regular season career. Only this year, throughout his entire career, Damian Lillard's entire career, regular season, only one time this shortened, corona-shortened season, would Damian Lillard ever have averaged more than the posted total is for the playoffs. Okay, you go, well, Tom, that's the playoffs. All right, so let's look at the playoffs, right? In 51 career playoff games, Damian Lillard has averaged 24.8 points over his career. Well, that's significantly lower than the 27.5 posted number. Only in the 2016-2017 playoffs, which, by the way, was just four games, did he average 27.8 points per game, which would have gone over... Just barely. Last year, when he was all everything, right? We remember Lillard uh, just being fantastic. 26.9 in 16 games. That's a large sample. Year before that, 18 points a game. So, guys, I'm looking at under 27.5 points per game. Damian Lillard averaged throughout the 2020 playoffs. He's only done it in the regular season during a shortened coronavirus year. He's only done it once 
in 51 career playoff games. He's only done it once, getting 27.8, which barely went over the number anyway. I think a very safe bet here is Damian Lillard to average under 27.5 throughout the 2020 NBA playoffs. And that is bet to the future. All right, let's get back to baseball. I told you the division numbers are out, and oh, yes, they are. The division numbers are out, and they have been moving, and they've been moving uh, a little bit here. The Atlanta Braves, oh, let's go to the NL East here. The Atlanta Braves, 9-5 to to win the division. The New York Mets, 3-1. to Nationals, 9-4. to Philadelphia Phillies, 5-1. to And the Miami Marlins, 80 80- to one, we can absolutely see that. Look, the Miami Marlins are just out. Okay, we're we're not going anywhere near the Miami Marlins. You, you just can't do it at eighty to one. I don't think you could touch on anybody else in a shortened season. I know the Mets are dangerous. I'm very well aware of what the Braves and the Nationals are clearly, and the Phillies at five to one are just not enough to tempt me to go for the number there. I think the NL East is a massively competitive division. They will have a pretty brutal schedule playing the AL East as well and playing each other. NL East is going to be really, really tough. I don't see an angle there. You know, if you're asking me now, it's tough to go against the Nationals, even though they lost Rendon because of that starting pitching. I know what the Braves bring to the table, but you know, I guess it would be Philly at 5-1. to I've been on top of Philly. I don't know if they have what it takes for this division, which is a tough division, so I'm not going to put any money on it, but I guess Philly is the best option there. NL Central, the Reds are 9-4, to the Cubs are 9-4, to the Cardinals are 9-4, to Brewers 5-1, to and the Pirates are 200-1. to All right, we're not going near the Pirates, although 200-1, to just for a division. By the way, 200-1 to for just the division? Can I talk myself into the Pittsburgh Pirates? Can I talk myself into 200 to 1? No, I can't. I can't. You don't just do that. People go, oh, I'm going to throw 20 bucks on 200 to 1. Eh, you can throw $20 on the toilet, too. I mean, you got you got that option. So you got the Reds, the Cubs, and the Cardinals. And you can see how much love is coming in on the Reds, who are now tied for the best odds in the NL Central with the Cubs, the Cardinals, and the Brewers. Um, this is tough. It's a tough, another another brutal, brutal division. I don't think the Brewers have the starting pitching, but they seem to get red hot. And, you know, I was reading somewhere that a four-game losing streak in the strike-shortened season, well, in the, uh, I'm sorry, corona-shortened season, a four-game losing streak is the equivalent of losing 17 games in a row. The Brewers are a team with bad starting pitching. Could they lose four games in a row? Yeah. Meaning, can the Brewers lose 17 games in a row? Yeah. Cardinals, you know, they got they got Flaherty there who probably wouldn't be able to, you know, uh, go through that losing streak. He's that kind of that stopper there. The Cubs have a good, solid starting staff. I worry about Kimbrell. I've mentioned that. And the Reds, they look really good. They look really good on paper, but I can't, I have to see it. I have to see it. So I, I'm not going to put any money on anybody there. I, I can't. I need to see. I need to see the Reds do it. I need to see what Kimbrell looks like on the back end. Uh, the Cardinals are probably the safest bet. I just don't love their starting. Uh, their their starting staff is good, but it's not great. NL West, Dodgers are one to seven massive favorites. Padres ten to one. Diamondbacks ten to one. Rockies thirty to one. 
San Francisco Giants 200 to 1. To give you an idea what I think about the Giants, I'd rather take the Pirates at 200 to 1. The Rockies don't have the starting pitching kid to compete. I can't go near it. Padres and Diamondbacks at 10 to 1 are pretty alluring numbers when you think about the fact that you have Madison Bumgarner on Arizona. In a shortened season, we know how he steps up during the playoffs, but it's a new ballpark, it's a new team, it's a new situation. They're trying to gel. And you look at it at teams like this, and this is the stay away zone for me. You look at teams like this, teams that are in transition, teams that brought in big free agents, teams that brought in new managers, there has to be an adjustment period. And if a four-game losing streak is the equivalent of a 17-game losing streak during a regular season, what is the adjustment period? If most teams need four to five weeks to adjust, Okay, let's say you speed it up and out of a 60 game season, you need 15 games to adjust. Guys, that, that's too long. That's too long. You got to come out here and start. There's, there's going to be one team that starts out something like, you know, nine to one or something like that. Right. There's going to be somebody to come out uh, nine and one, 10 and two, their first 12 games. And they, they're going to just win the division based on the first week. I mean, that's just it. That's what we're looking at. So I don't like the teams in transition like Arizona. San Diego 10-1 to is interesting. They're interesting because they have a very good bullpen. They're interesting because I believe in a guy like Chris Paddock. I think that Manny Machado is better than what we saw. I think with a healthy Tatis, that team is dangerous. San Diego is dangerous. San Diego can be a team that might be worth a look here. But... But the Dodgers are big favorites for a reason. The Dodgers are big favorites for a reason that goes beyond just the fact that they know how to win. Goes beyond their talent factor. In this kind of year, you don't have to worry about Clayton Kershaw getting injured. You got Clayton Kershaw for a solid, what, 10 games. You have Walker Bueller for a solid 10 games. Kenley Jansen, a guy that didn't look great last year. Well, you got some backups if you need them. This Dodger team is stacked from top to bottom. Do I think that the Dodgers should be a 1-7? to seven? I don't think anybody should be a 1-7 to seven favorite. But it keeps me away from taking a shot at the San Diego Padres. It keeps me away. The Yankees, 4-1. to one. Tampa Bay is 11 to 4, Boston 16 to 1, Toronto 30 to 1, Baltimore 30 to 1. This is an insult to Toronto by the way. I Baltimore's bad, okay? But the fact that the Pirates are 200 to 1, the San Francisco Giants are 200 to 1, but Baltimore's only 30 to 1? Are you kidding me? Baltimore's not beating the Yankees in Tampa. I don't even think Baltimore should be near Toronto. Toronto at 30 to 1 is an insult. Not because I think Toronto at 30 to 1 is good odds, because I, I don't. They don't have the starting pitching. But Toronto is markedly better than Baltimore, especially in a short season. Come on. I know neither one of them have starting pitching, but Baltimore is a mess right now. Go look at the Baltimore starting rotation and tell me if the Orioles should be anywhere near this conversation. Oh, the, the, I think this is a misprint. I thought the Superbook made a misprint, and the Baltimore Orioles should be 300-1. to 1. That's what I, I believed. I said they, they misprinted it. Baltimore's got to be 300-1. to 1. No, 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 they're 30-1. to 1. So cross them right off your list. A ridiculous bet. Toronto, ridiculous bet. I know there are going to be some people out there that are Boston Red Sox, and they're saying, okay, everybody. All right, everyone. Boston Red Sox, they got a shot. It's still Boston. No, you don't. At 16-1, to 1, don't throw your money away. 
So it's between the Yankees and Tampa. The Yankees have to be the prevailing favorite. James Paxton's going to come back, and he's going to be healthy. I just read uh, this week that Aaron Hicks is going to be ready and healthy. Aaron Judge hasn't been fully healthy, but he should be fine. Giancarlo Stanton, can he hold it together and be healthy for 60 days? <laughs> right? Uh, I hope so. I hope he can. The Yankees are a powerhouse. Garrett Cole, one. James Paxton, two. Tanaka, three. With a bullpen that goes four or five deep. The Yankees are the most complete team in baseball. They are the World Series odds-on favorite for a reason. But I am scared of the Tampa Bay Rays. Now, there is not a lot of value here. 11-4 to four is not giving me a lot of value. Okay? But the Rays are a dangerous team. With Morton and Snell 1-2, they potentially could be as good as any 1-2 in the league. They're a dangerous team. The odds are just not tempting enough for me. I have questions about their bullpen. Look, I think Anderson is great, but where does uh, Acevedo log in? Where do, where, where do these guys kind of fall into place, those middle relievers? I worry a little bit about Tampa there. I worry a little bit about Tampa and the offense. You know, I, you have some talent there. You have some guys, but there's not the guy. There's not that guy in Tampa that everyone's looking at and going, all right, he's definitely going to get that clutch hit. In a shortened season, I, I almost look at this like you an extended playoffs because I have to present it like that. Tampa's dangerous, but this should be the Yankees' division. The problem is, you know, I, I'm just not going to go with these odds. I'm not going to lay 110 to win 40 bucks to win the division. Yankees should win it. I, I'm scared enough of Tampa to stay off of it. How about the AL Central? Minnesota's two to three. Cleveland's eleven to four. The White Sox are four to one. Kansas City's fifty to one, and the Tigers are two hundred to one. Again, by the way, how the hell is Baltimore only thirty to one? Um, Detroit Tigers two hundred to one. Cross them right off your list. They don't have pitching. They don't have hitting. They don't have a bullpen. They don't have a team. Uh, Kansas City Royals are fifty to one. I like what Kansas City is doing. I know we don't talk about the Major League Baseball draft, but last year the Kansas City Royals drafted. Three really good arms. The year before that, they grabbed another arm. This year, they grabbed a couple arms. Their Kansas City is going to be good in the next two or three years. This year is just not that year. Again, you got to have a starting staff to compete in the short kind of season, and they just don't have that. Their hitting might come around. Solaire's a beast, but they don't have it right now. Chicago White Sox, everyone's darlings. Everyone likes the White Sox. I think this coronavirus shortened season hurts the White Sox as badly as anybody else. They are a young team. And you expect the White Sox to kind of hold hold their own if this was a regular year. April, May, hold their own. They start coming on in June. Maybe they start finding their way. They start getting hot in July and August. Well, you don't have that luxury year. You have a young team. I'm not going anywhere near it at 4-1. to one. Minnesota is the prevailing favorite at 2-3, to three, but I don't like the odds. I think that their pitching is a little bit weak, and I, I am nervous nervous if I'm Minnesota, if I'm Cleveland. Look, the best player in the division is in Cleveland in Francisco Lindor. The best starting pitcher in the division is in Cleveland. You can argue the best two starting pitchers in the division are both in Cleveland. The best closer, well, Rodgers is good, hand is right there, it's a toss-up. The best bullpen might be in Cleveland. So there's a pot. I could make a very good, very good argument that Cleveland has 
the best bullpen in baseball, best bullpen in the AL Central. It's debatable, but they're right there. The best starting pitching for sure. I think they they absolutely have it, and they have the best player in Francisco Lindor. And you might go and say they have the second best player in Ramirez. They might have the two best players and the best pitching staff in this AL Central. And I'm getting them at eleven to four. All right, forty bucks to win one hundred ten. I'll take a shot at the, at the Indians. That's that's one of them that I will take a shot at. AL West. Astros five to seven, A's two to one, Angels seven to one, Rangers twenty to one, and Mariners are two hundred to one. Mariners are a mess. Cross them off two hundred to one. Rangers twenty to one, not enough there. Uh, the Rangers made improvements, but not in this division. They will be a, a a good team in coming years. I like what they're doing there, but just not enough. Angels at seven to one becomes intriguing. I think the Angels have the potential, and I've told you the potential to really do some interesting things. But why are the Padres ten to one, but the Angels are seven to one? I was hoping to get the Angels at about ten to one or so, seven to one, just enough to make me lay off. Otani has a number one ace. That's great. They don't have anybody behind them. They just don't. They're gonna have to bash their way, and this in this shortened season is not a time to bash your way to a championship. It's just not. You've got to pitch your way, which is most years, but this year more importantly than ever. The A's at two to one is way overvalued, way overvalued. We know what the A's are. The A's during the Billy Bean era, going all the way back to Moneyball and that nonsense, have always been streaky teams. And yeah, they can streak in the right direction, sure. But at two to one odds, they can also streak in the wrong direction. Yeah, Astros are the five to seven favorites. They should be the favorites. But there's some holes with the Astros. And this isn't me just hating the asterisks. This is me realizing they lost Garrett Cole. And Justin Verlander is another year older. And th- there's got to be some level of distraction. It won't be what it was to open up the year, but there's got to be some level of distraction with the garbage cans and the questions and the booing and the problem. And they probably won't have fans, but th- there's got to be some level of worry, distraction, outside forces for the Houston Astros. Oh, by the way, you also lost your starting pitcher, your ace of your staff. So I think that there's enough to not take the Astros. If I was going to take a team in this division, I would take the Angels, but I don't love it. So, overall, NL East, I think it's too close to call. I don't see any value there. Too close to call. If you had to twist my arm, I guess I'd take a shot at the Phillies at 5-1, to one, but I don't love it. NL Central, absolutely too close to call. Three teams are exactly, <laughs> I mean, exact numbers. I won't go near that. NL West, the Padres are intriguing, but I know how good the Dodgers are. The AL East, I think the Yankees are the best team in baseball. The Yankees should be the prevailing favorite. The Yankees should be the prevailing favorite for the American League. The Yankees should be the prevailing favorite for the World Series Championship. The Yankees, the Yankees, the Yankees. I love it all, but I'm not betting on them to win the East because Tampa Bay scares me just enough in a shortened season that I'm not going to lay these out. Now, if you give me the Yankees at even money, I'd be all over it, but you're not giving me the Yankees at even money, are you? So I'm not going to go touch that. The AL West, I want to make a compelling argument for the Angels. I really do, but I look at the rotation. I go, after Otani, there's no number two, and how are they going to use Otani? I'm not sure, and 7-1 to one odds is just not enough. If you could get the Angels at 10-1, to 12-1 to one odds to win the division, I would have been on it. I would have given you some of my money and said, hey, we're taking a shot, but I'm not going to do that. So the only division winner that I really will go out there and throw my own money on, I suggest you guys take a shot with it as well as the Cleveland Indians. 
Cleveland Indians are getting more than two to one odds. The Indians are, again, in a division where Minnesota has a very good team, but they're built for the regular season. The White Sox, everyone loves the White Sox. I think they're a little young. And you give me a team with these odds that have the clear best pitching staff in the NL Central, and you could argue the best one-two, the best two players in the NL Central, and a very competitive bullpen, and I think we got some good value there. So, guys, we're talking about real baseball, and we're talking about real numbers and make sure that you sit back and see who opts out and all of that, sure. But we do see some angles here. The division numbers are out. The World Series numbers are out. Individual stat numbers we'll be able to talk about next week. It's getting close. We're into July now. That means this month there will be sports, and I am pumped up. All right, guys, that's going to do it for me this week. Hope you guys enjoyed. I'm Tom Bart for Wagering Week. We'll be back, and you can bet on that. This has been a presentation of the Sports Garden Network. To be a part of the show, call 1-855-4GARDEN. That's 1-855-442-7836. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter at Sports Garden, G-A-R-T-E-N. Get all your credible sports intelligence 24 hours a day by visiting us at sportsgarden.com. Come <laughs> on.